everyone. Welcome to Uni Life with Canvas Nottingham. This week, we're going to continue our series, Before You Go, where we've been talking to different Canvas teammates about some sort of wisdom or thought or topic that they feel like is important to highlight and speak into before everyone goes off in their separate ways for the summertime. This week, we have Miles joining us. And so, how's it going, Miles? It's going well. How does it feel to be on the other side, not in the, the host seat, but in the interviewee seat? Uh, it's been the first time since 2020, so we decided to change it up and bring it back. That's right, we did. Well, thanks for being here. I'm excited to hear what you have to share with us today. Um, before we get started on the topic that we're covering today, I thought it would be cool to give people a glimpse back in in the day in the life of Miles as a uni student. What were you like as a uni student, Miles? So as a uni student, when I think back about it, it, I'm just reminded of people. People stand out and relationships and silly stories like when we would camp out for food for 24 hours in order to get free chicken sandwiches for a year, or when we drove four hours to go to White Castle in the middle of the night, which is the equivalent of, what is the worst? Oh, Maryland chicken or something like that. About the lowest of the low fast food or takeaway joint you can imagine uh, in the United States. And so we drove in the middle of the night at 10 o'clock, got there at like 2 a.m. And I came back and went to my 8 a.m. class the next morning after driving throughout the night uh, just to go to White Castle. So those are the stories that sort of stick out when I think back to university. Wow. Would you be up for doing that kind of thing now? I think I've gotten too old for this. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I, I feel you. I think driving uh, a very long stretch of time and not sleeping is just not a recipe for success. Absolutely not. Sleep is very important. That's one thing I've realized from post-university days. Oh, I undervalued sleep at university. Yeah, I totally agree. I did the same thing. So what else? What stands out from uni? Like give people a picture of what kind of what kind of guy you were. Were you the same as you are today? Were you different? Like, have you changed? So there were similarities and differences for sure. So some of the quirks of Miles, the way I walked and sort of sometimes the way I talk or sometimes mix up words, those were the same. Like the outward workings of Miles were very similar. But at the heart of me, I'm, I was different. There are some similarities for sure, but I had a plan in my life. When I started university, I wanted to be a baseball manager or a baseball coach, you could say, or I wanted to work in the sports side of business. But I had like my life planned out for the next 10, 15 years. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to get here. These are the people I'm going to meet along the way. And my life was all planned out and mapped out till I was like 40. Um, however, life throws you curveballs and sort of things surprise you along the way. Um, and I realized, though, 
throughout my time at university that I really cared about what other people thought about me. Um, one of my big strengths in life, I can say, is I'm pretty good at reading emotional temperatures of room and how people are doing. And with that information, you can do a lot of good things or you can do a lot of not so good things. Uh, and I feel like when I was younger, I was very insecure with myself and I wasn't um, confident in who I was as a person. And so I would sometimes use those emotional cues as a gauge of me sort of thing. So if somebody wasn't in a great space, I was like, oh, what, is, what am I doing? What am I saying? What am I acting? Why don't they like me? Instead of worrying about the other person or concern for the other person and like, hey, what's going on with you? Um, a lot of things were filtered through the prism of miles at that stage in my life. And I really had to grow through that stage of becoming more secure in who I was as a person to use that gift to help other people much more than just worrying about myself and how I look towards other people. Yeah. So your view of yourself influenced the way that these gifts and talents that you had kind of were used in your life. Yeah. I just constantly if you sort of view it life as a ladder, I sort of had a marking of where I was in the ladder. And I was like, oh, these people I really like or something in my life. I'm like really aware of how they're perceiving me right now. So I want them to like me so I can like climb up the ladder and feel better about myself. And it was always like, I need to measure up. I need to do more. I need to achieve more. In the reality though, I was making all these situations about me um, constantly. It was like me, me, me. Um, it was not a like a very mutual thing or about the other person. And so what ended up happening <clears throat> through these things is I wasn't really seeing people for who they were. I was seeing them as a decipher of how I viewed myself in a lot of ways. Uh, and because of that, it's really hard to have really deep, authentic relationships when you're so insecure with yourself. And I think sometimes this is like a manifestation of pride in a lot of ways. Uh, I think sometimes there's some people who struggle with pride who have the biggest ego in the world and they just build themselves up and like try to look down on other people. But I also think pride sometimes is people who are very insecure with themselves and then they just think about themselves all the time and how they're not enough and it's manifesting itself that way. And so because of that, sometimes the people who look at the polar ends of the uh, spectrum of how they view themselves have the same core issue at their heart. Yeah. While you were talking, I kind of thought about it like a picture of a person, the ego person is like above the person that they're looking at. So that, like you said, they're looking down on the person. The insecure person is like below, like trying to like climb the ladder and like get up, get up, get up. And I feel like the person that is secure in themselves looks at the other person in the eye um, and sees that person for who they are and focuses their attention on the other person in the room. I absolutely agree because I think what ends up happening is either person, it becomes about them. It's not about a mutual equal relationship. It's like, how do I measure up or how do I look down upon the other person? 
something we talk about a lot, especially on our team at Canvas, is that in life, it is a lifelong lesson to learn. It is not about you. Life is just not about you. It's about the person that's sitting next to you or the person that you're unexpectedly coming in contact with walking down the street or whatever. Um, and that, yeah, that that's the kind of life that we as a team want to encourage one another to live is a life that's not about us, but that it's about the other people that we're around. I think that's so spot on sort of thing. And there's so many opportunities in life to realize that it's not about us sort of thing. If you just you walk in and you see your housemate in a bad mood sort of thing. Sometimes it's really easy to be like, what did I do? Like, why are they mad at me? What, what did I say? Or what did I do? And in reality, a lot of situations in life, it really isn't you. It isn't like you did something that day. Like sometimes, yes, we need to take awareness of our actions and how we hurt people and say things and do things. Um, that is true. But oftentimes, those opportunities, instead of filtering and thinking about what did I do? What did I do? Change the narrative and be like, how are you? Like, is something going on? And you can really try to meet the person where they're at in their pain instead of making it about you. Yeah, that's good. So when we talked about topics for this podcast episode, you wanted to talk about worship. Why did you want to talk about worship? I think worship is really important because it's something we all do. I think it sort of seems like it's a very religious word, a very like Christian word, like Christians worship God or something like that, or something like worship music or something like that. That is something like you might hear at church if you go to church sort of thing. But in reality, I think we all worship something in our lives. Uh, and the question is, are we aware of what we are worshiping, in my opinion? What would you say worship is then on a broader scale that you're talking about? I think worship is what we put our trust in. It's the thing that we devote our time and energy and devote our life about. In the sense, like, I think a lot of people who believe in a God, like we believe in Jesus, we hopefully worship Jesus. And Jesus is the focal point of our lives. However, you see this in a lot of people's lives that people worship work. You see people who work 70-hour work weeks and who don't spend time with any family or friends just to make the ends meet at their job. And I think those people worship work because their entire lives are revolved around work. I think other people uh, worship their beauty. And sometimes uh, when they get older, you sort of see people who, like, as they get wrinkles or gray hair or start to change body shape, really struggle with that to a very big degree because they don't look the same way they looked when they were 25, for example. And I think it looks different for each one of us, but really I think the biggest measurement is what do we put our time and energy towards? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's what we're investing in. Like we have an allocated um, amount of resources in our lives, our time, our energy, our trust, our money. And it's like the thing that we're worshiping is what we're investing that stuff in, is what I hear you saying. Absolutely. So this is that's the broad sense. What about in the faith sense? What does worship, how is it expressed in the 
in the faith sense then? I think worship is just trust to act it out. Uh, so we talk a lot about faith and like, what is faith? And I think the best way to explain what faith is, is trust. Hopefully when I say I have a faith in Jesus, it's sort of like, I have trust in Jesus. I have trust in Jesus is who he says he is. Uh, and worship is that trust acted out. And so that's me spending my time praying to Jesus. That is me like worshiping in songs to Jesus and singing songs. This is me devoting my life and what I'm doing in order of service of Jesus. This is sort of why I'm working at Canvas, because I believe this is what God has called me to. And I want to act that out in my life. So it's hopefully me trying to orient my entire life around what I'm worshiping. So you've said that you think that everyone worships. Why do we worship? Why can't somebody just like not worship anything at all and just live their life? I think one person who's really helped me th with this is this actually writer. His name's David Foster Wallace, and he's not a Christian writer. He's more, you could say, an academic. He sort of looks at a lot of different things and how people work and function as things. And he says in um, modern day adult life, there's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. Uh, and the thing is, he says, what are we worshiping? Does it eat us alive? Some things will give us life and some things will take them away. And he goes, if we worship power, we will end up feeling weak and afraid. Or you will, you will need ever more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid or fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious things about these forms of worship is not that they're evil, it's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. So I think a lot of times we just default setting and don't realize the things we are worshiping in our life, that these things actually have power over us. And we are just making unconscious choices day in and day out towards these things. And I think we see this so often in life. When we look at people who have like midlife crisis, I think a lot of times they realize, oh, the thing I've devoted my entire life about for the past 20 years isn't fulfilling this need. There's a hole in my life when I'm 40 to 45. And it's like, why do I feel this way? Why is there like this numb feeling in my life? I think for other of us, it's like, I think I've had many friends who are like, oh, I just want to date and sleep around with whoever I want to. And then they just sort of feel lacking and in, in need because it's not fixing the need that is a little bit deeper within them. And I think so often people just try to fill these needs with other things in their lives and being like, oh, if I just have a great holiday, then I will feel better. And all these are doing are temporary needs sort of thing. And I think what we do is we try to fill our ultimate needs with these temporary needs in our lives. And then we just feel lacking and we want more. And then we realize, oh, I'm not, this thing's not working, so let's try something else. And then that works for a little bit. And then, oh, it's not working anymore. It must be, we need to change that out to something else. And I think this happens over and over. And it's a pattern for many people in our lives. 
going back to the idea of worship being the thing we're like investing our resources in, I think that to me that stands out as another picture of why we all worship something because we're all devoting our time to something. Like we're all devoting our energy to something. We're all living our lives doing certain things. And I think those, like you said, are the things that we are choosing to worship and make our lives about. And I think one way to measure this is think about what you spend your time doing and the, be it the people or be it the things. And just think about those. Do those things give you life? Do they produce like, for lack of better words, good fruit or do you feel just worse at the end of the day, just binging out and watching Netflix all day? At the end of it, do you feel better or do you sort of feel numb and not as alive? And I think there's a lot of different ways we can measure these if we're honest with ourselves and create space that these things that we might be putting in our lives aren't actually as life-giving as we think they are. And I think going off the idea of this feeling better, I think it's not a temporary better. It's not like the better that you get when you eat a chocolate bar and you're like, mm, that was so good because that's fleeting. I think the good that comes from living a full life, um, ones that like you said, bear fruit, it's a deep, like lasting sustenance kind of full. I 100% agree. And you can just tell this in people you meet that they are living a full life. Like, so, and I don't mean like on Instagram where you can just see the flashbulb moments where it looks like everything's great and things are perfect. But I'm talking about like when you have a beer with somebody and just sit with them and talk for a couple hours, you can tell those people in life that regardless of circumstances are grounded and have a better story in their life than just whatever is good or bad in the current uh, moment of life. So what does the Bible have to say about worship? The Bible actually says a lot about worship um, and it's really, really interesting. So one place that you see this in the Bible is uh, in Exodus 20. And so Exodus is the story. David talked about it just a couple weeks ago about this guy named Moses who leads the Israelites out of slavery into modern day Israel in, in the story of that. Along the way, he receives the Ten Commandments, which some of you may have heard before. And the first commandment, I just think, centers around this idea of worship. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God and a jealous God. So uh, that is the first commandment. And I just that commandment just really sticks out to me because one author says humans are an idol factory. We just can't stop worshiping. And we sort of think we're past the idea of religious worship today. Some people do. We're like, oh, God's like a thing of the past. But as I said earlier, I really think we all worship something. It just might be not a traditional God. Uh, and 
basically God realizes that we're as humans are going to worship something. And so for him, it's centered around who God is. And so God tells us he's the only one that can fill the need within us. So he's like, don't put anything in front of me because it won't work. You will lead yourself burn out, exhausted, um, unsatisfied in life. And I just think that's really telling. That's the first commandment uh, in the entire Bible. Like this is what God says to uh, Moses. What about Jesus? What did he have to say about worship? Jesus talks about it a lot, but like in his most famous speech, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is in the beginning of the book of Matthew. Jesus says, you can't worship God and money. Um, And he actually, Jesus says a lot of things about money. And a lot of times that we are people who worship money and what money means to us. And so it's very easy for us to just get fooled. Um, We think we're doing things for the right reason. In reality, uh, money or some other ulterior motive is actually driving our actions in life. I think that's helpful information. What does that then look like in your life? What role does worship play in your life? I think it is central, uh, or I hope it's central, like sort of thing. I mean, we all miss the mark. We all fall up short. But I was challenged a few years ago by one of my friends, uh, John, who was actually on the podcast um, last season. And he just like challenged me to reorient my life a little bit and hopefully because for me, God is the most important thing that dictates how I sort of live my day. And for me, that hopefully means I'm going to bed earlier so I can wake up earlier so I can pray, listen to some worship music and other things and spend time with God. Because if I say God's the most important thing to me, I should hopefully be spending some time with God opposed to if I say people are the most important thing or um, having nights out are the most important thing. I'm going to devote my time and energy to that. And so as I started to get up earlier and spend more time with God, I realized I started to become more like God because as one author says, you become like the people you spend the most time with. And so I really think this is true also for our faith. If we spend more time in prayer, more time reading the Bible, more time listening to worship music, hopefully through that process, we're becoming a little bit more like God and a little bit more like the person of Jesus. And as that has gone along, um, it is also my relationship with a lot of these different practices, like listening to music. I I've just have a much better, fuller experience. Because growing up, I went to a very traditional church, and it was very, uh, I would say, the word boring. Uh, There was an organ, and all the music was from 100 to 200 to 300 years ago, and I didn't even really know what the songs meant we were singing. And it was sort of like, oh, let's just pass the song part of church, and then we can get to the speaking part of church. In reality now, though, it isn't about how traditional or modern day the music is. It's the invitation to join in. And that's the big difference is that, oh, worship is something I can participate in and be a part of in whatever facet it looks like in my life. And that has changed what it has meant to me. It's something I'm invited in and I'm allowed to be a part of the story of what's going on during a church service. 
I think that living a life where you're focused on worshiping one thing is really, really difficult. To me, it's like trying to hit a bullseye over and over and over and over every moment of every day with every resource that you've been entrusted with. What would you say um, you have found is challenging about uh, worship? Oh, I think you're 100% right with what you were saying, because I think we hear so many messages about the things we should be prioritizing in our life. Uh, We hear more advertisements than people would hear in an entire lifetime in like one day today uh, than people like three generations ago. So it's just we're getting so many messages that you need to look a certain way. You need to eat a certain way. You need to talk a certain way. You need to have this much money. You need to have all the best holidays. And we're getting all these messages that were not enough, that you need to do more, achieve more, work more. And I think in some ways we have to counteract these messages with what we're worshiping. Because if we are like, I try to worship God. And so for me, I have to constantly check in and do an audit of like, hey, am I actually making decisions that are aligning me with God? Or am I making decisions that are sort of just default settings of other people in my life who this is what they expect life to look like? And so I have to constantly sort of at the end, once a day or at the end of the day or throughout the day, sort of just be like, hey, did I hit that bullseye there or did I miss the mark? And it's not trying to be judgmental or like, oh, beat myself up. Like you didn't hit the mark. You're the worst. That's not the point of it. It's more so, okay, we can reorient ourselves. Um, And as Christine sort of mentioned in a recent podcast, if we just miss the mark a little bit right now, oh, it's not that big of a deal. We just end up in a slightly different part of the room. But if you extrapolate that over large distances, um, we're going to miss the mark by large gaps. If I just take that across the Atlantic Ocean, I might be aiming for Mexico. And instead I hit Canada. And that's sort of a long way away. And um you just don't want to miss on those long marks. So I think a lot of times it's easier to do those daily check-ins or check in pretty regularly with yourselves. And then you can course correct a little bit easier in life. Yeah. So what you're saying is it's a lot of small moments that add up over time um, that change like the trajectory of where we're headed in the long term. Oh, 100%. It's one of those things where day to day, I probably don't notice huge changes. Like, oh, it's not like today, just because I spent time worshiping God, I notice a substantial difference than yesterday. But I do notice a big change over a year sort of thing. All those days add up. All those small choices add up over time. And it's sort of like making those healthy habits in life. You don't notice it day one, but you notice it after like 30 days, after 60 days, after 90 days. There's just small changes over and over again. And it's almost sort of like, hopefully, as we've talked about with love and grace and community, hopefully I become more patient and more kind if I'm worshiping God more truthfully each and every day. Hopefully I'm becoming more like that person of Jesus. What, if any, uh, would you say the role that God is playing in your worship? 
oh, God is primary. I am, I am the recipient. I don't control the process. And that's something that I struggle with is I, it's so much easier to be like, Hey, shoot the arrow, hit the bullseye, because at least I control the result of that because hey, I didn't do this or this or this, then it works out. Opposed to if I am worshiping God, I might not feel something in that moment. And it's like, I did everything right in my head. Like, well, why am I not connecting with you, God? Why do I not feel close to you sort of thing? And I'm not the one who controls the entire story in this. Like God is always the first mover, always the one who is more in control than I am in all situations. And so that's where the trust element, and that's also where the frustration element comes in at times because I can't manipulate the situation and get the results I want. Because if I could, I would always do the thing that would get me the results that I would want. So God is the focus and object of your worship, but is also required to be a part of you fulfilling that? Yes. Um, so God is the object of our worship, but God also allows me to worship. Like enables. Yeah. Without without God, it's sort of just a futile effort. I would just be going in circles and um, like without God's presence, it's sort of like, ah, what's the point? And, and so that's sort of the thing. On a Sunday morning, for example, uh, at church, you might see people sing songs and um, pray and do all these things. And yeah, we're singing songs to God, but if God's not here, it doesn't really matter. It's just sort of all noise and it might sound nice and it might be a nice production quality, but without God, it doesn't matter. What would you say is the purpose of worship? I think worship helps us become more like the person of Jesus. I think that's what God ultimately wants us to be is the fullest version of Christine, the fullest version of Miles, the fullest version of whoever's listening to this. And I don't think that just comes naturally. I think there are so many times opposing forces in the world. Um, Evil is a very real thing in our world. I think we all miss the mark, um, as we can attest to, in small ways in our lives. And then we see the giant um, injustices in our world. And so because of that, I don't think we just become the person of Jesus by trying. Instead, we have to focus on Jesus and worship Jesus. And Jesus can start to transform us through this process and becoming more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, I think we become more like the fullest versions of ourselves that we all want to be. That's good. I like that. What is something looking back at uni miles that you wish that you could have told yourself? I think uh, two things. The first one is you're not as much in control as you think you are uh, sort of thing. You don't have to have it all planned out. You don't know exactly how cards are going to go out. If you would have told me, Uh, 10 years ago, that would be living in Nottingham, England. I would have laughed at you. I think that's a common theme along a a lot of the staff members at Canvas that we thought, oh, this wasn't exactly how I would have thought life would have gone out. And so I think that's okay. If you're in five years, aren't where you thought you would be, that's okay. It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean something went wrong along the way. Um, Mm -hmm. The second thing I would say is it's not about you. 
I've had to really learn that lesson a lot in my life. And I'm, I think even now I constantly get reminded about that lesson. It's not about you. And so just in situations, I think it's really easy to think, what did I do? What do I do? Instead, try to look through situations through the other person's lens and realize that a lot of things in life really aren't about you. Like sometimes if your parents are having a tough time, you might have not done anything. There might have been other stresses in their lives. And sometimes just taking a step back and realizing things just don't filter around us actually help us to love and be in much better relationship with the people in our lives. Yeah, I think when we pause and try to put ourselves in another person's position, it changes our assessment of the situation rather than looking at the other person in a judgmental way, like, why are you doing that? I think when we kind of relocate ourselves and try to put ourselves in their shoes, it's like, okay, why would like th this be happening? Why, what are some reasons why this could be the situation that they found themselves in. And it's like coming from a place of understanding rather than judgment. And I think that it has, for me personally, really just, I mean, it changes so much. I think normally when I come at things from a place of judgment, it results in so much frustration because I'm not really trying to understand. I'm like picking apart the situation to support my view. But in when I relocate myself to a place of understanding, I think there's just this connection that comes in that moment at times where it's like, oh, um, you know, That's that makes more on. sense. Yeah. A hundred percent. I can't agree more. I, I really one of our favorite authors is this woman named Brene Brown. And just so much of this is asking open-ended questions. Uh, because if you ask questions, you allow the other person to fill in the gaps instead of just filling it in with your own story. Yes, it is so important to remember that everyone wants the opportunity to tell their own story. And the way in which to find out what that story is, is like you said, to ask good questions. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Miles. This has been really uh, interesting and a good conversation, and I'm excited to hear what people think about it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, for sure. If you would like more information on what's going on with Canvas, please follow us along on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Canvas Nottingham. Next week, we have an exciting guest for you. Her name is Emma. She is our newest Canvas teammate, and she's going to be on the podcast. So join us next week, and we'll see you then. Bye, everybody. Bye.